Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. This episode is sponsored by Pledge Manager from KickTrack. Remember Exploding Kittens? They managed that one. How about Secret Hitler? Yep, they did that one too. If you're a Kickstarter creator and you're not using Pledge Manager by KickTrack, you're leaving money on the table. Check them out at pledgemanager.com. I want to welcome my guest, Howard Taylor. He's a good friend, and he's a frequent guest on Funding the Dream. Howard, welcome back to the show. Well, Richard, it's nice to be back, and it's nice that you've, you've got new episodes coming. I, I do. I have been a, been a while. It has been a while. Um, you know, all of us have those uh, time periods in our life where things change, and you have to adjust. And there's been big adjustments in my life, um, and... Uh, Right. The while the podcast didn't have any new content, the fans continued to reach out to me and continue to consume the content and continue to find value from it. So that made it very well worthwhile. And I have to admit that over this uh, time period, it's caused me to wonder about the value that I could bring to the Kickstarter community because so much is out there and there's so much good content that did I have anything to offer? But I realized no, it has nothing to do with me. It's about people like you that are doing great things out there that uh, are much smarter than I am. How's that? Is that a good uh, softball tee up for uh... That's that's a, oh yeah, that's that's a that's a great softball. Um there's a a term introduced by I say introduced. Uh got used in the program The Expanse uh written by Ty Frank Daniel Abraham uh called the churn uh where one of the characters talks about how yeah, you know, it's the it's the churn, it'll kill you um when society changes and right now uh, crowdfunding, I say right now, the last five years, it's all churn. It Everything is. is changing. As you said uh, to me in a, a private conversation we had before, uh, we tell our kids uh, the job that you're going to have as a grown up doesn't exist yet. That's absolutely And yes. so Kickstarter and and uh, and Patreon and GoFundMe and th- there are probably others that I don't know the names of. Uh, these things uh, exist in this space of job creation, not in terms of you know where the where the government would talk about job creation. Yay, more people got hired. No job creation, as in we created a job whose very definition did not exist before we created it. Absolutely, that's cool. It is, it is. And you have really been at the forefront. For the, my listeners who might not be familiar with you, uh, if they are longtime listeners, they will. You've been on the show many times. You were one of my very first guests. Um, you make a living drawing comics on the web that you give away for free. Is that fairly accurate? Yes. Right? Yeah, that's, that is, that, it is a career that did not exist prior to about 1998 as a career. Web cartoonist. Web cartoonist. It's the idea that, Go ahead. Yeah, it's the idea that you publish comics on the web and then you sell book collections, T-shirts, stickers, ad space, whatever, and uh, and make a living from that. And at the time that I became a web cartoonist, the career YouTuber didn't exist. Right. Um, but it is very, very similar. Um, Do you know that the, I, the career... It, it is on the YouTube. podcaster gotta, didn't exist. Right. Sorry. And, and no, no, you're right. And I have in my role, in my regular job, I deal with a lot of uh, senior executives in, in technology industry. And I have them come to me for advice for 
their kids. They come to me for some parenting advice. I'm like, why are you coming to me? Well, you know, I have five daughters. They're almost all grown. Okay, I can give you some advice. Uh, whether I've done a good job or not, that's beside the point. But what they're asking me advice for, and I've had multiple executives come to me with their kids for their uh, kids' advice. Their kids want to be YouTubers. And these, adult, <laughs> and these adults don't understand the implications of that. Well, what does that mean? Is that a good thing? How do I help? Is this, should I be afraid of this? Right? And they're coming to me because supposedly I'm this social media expert that's going to help them teach them how to talk to their kids about this new thing. You know, when we were growing up, it was all be on TV or be an astronaut or whatever it was. Nope. Now these kids all want to be YouTubers. Right? And they see, yep. they, they see their fans. They see them YouTubers. I, I have a daughter who is going to college in her second year and she's a YouTuber. She gets 50 to 60,000 views on her videos. And I do this for a living. I get paid to do social media and I can't even do that. And she's doing it. Uh She's doing it for free. So yes. And the, the question, the question that so often gets asked is what, what would I study in school in order to be able to do this? Disclaimer. I did not study art. I did not study marketing. I did not study internet or computers when I was in school. I studied music and I had a brief flirtation with chemical engineering. Um, <laughs> what do you need to study in order to be in, in order to succeed in this world that's coming? What do you need to study in order to survive the churn? And my answer is always First and foremost, study studying. Yes. Find something you love. Learn everything about it as fast as you can and and keep some notes about how you learned it. Take something that you know nothing about and learn about it. Take something, look for things that you know and find ways to prove yourself wrong. Uh, Look, look for the look for your mistakes. Uh, People who can do that. When the churn happens and their job stops existing, not I got laid off, but this career is no longer a viable path. Those are the people who are going to be able to uh, going to be able to jump to whatever's next. And, and in some ways, the popularity of my podcast, you know, as we mentioned, it's been a while, but there's still thousands of people or this podcast gets listened to thousands of times a month, even when I wasn't producing new content. Because of what you're just saying, there are people out there who are doing that. They're learning, 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 podcasts, video, uh, YouTubes, uh, blogs, talking, going to conferences. There's so much that's happening in each space. And crowdfunding has taken the opportunity to take this activity and monetize it. Monetize your, right, whether it's Patreon, whether it's Kickstarter, whether it's all the, the hundreds and hundreds of other crowdfunding platforms that are out there. They have monetized this activity in a way that we could have never imagined. So let's talk about your monetization because you've just launched a Kickstarter campaign. Um, oh yeah, we've got a we've got a Kickstarter running right now. It launched on October sixteenth. Okay, I think. All right, and for those who uh, are listening, sixteenth, twenty eighteen. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, of October sixteenth of twenty eighteen, uh, the Kickstarter is for two Schlock Mercenary books. Uh, putting them into print, um, books 14 and 15 in what is eventually going to be a 20 book uh, series. Um, and the project funded uh, within, uh, I'm going to say just under 24 hours, um, funded at 50,000. Um, and that number 
is the number at which uh, Sandra and I, uh, Sandra's my wife, Sandra is uh, the editor, Sandra handles manufacturing and layout and design and runs the Kickstarter. And my only job is to uh, draw pictures and tell jokes um, and occasionally, you know, marketing stuff. But uh, Sandra said, you know, $50,000, that is the point at which we haven't lost money shipping books to these people. But in order for us to be viable, we have to push this product or this project out to 80K, 100K, 125K. You know, and when you did your very first Kickstarter campaign, and you and I spent a lot of time talking about that, you had somebody else do that for you back in 2012, mm-hmm. I think it was. You know, and back 2012. Then, yeah, 2012. And it was considered one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns in its category at the time. And what did you raise? 75,000? Yeah, raised 75,000. And, uh, and we were, yeah, most successful uh, of its kind at the time. But we were right on the edge of this massive yeah. run up into things that were 10, 20, 50, 100 times yeah. as fundy as, as ours was um, in that category. And, and, so, and talking about that category, because you just recently, you and I were talking again right before the show, where you mentioned um, you just wrapped up. The, one of your Kickstarter campaigns that was 18 months ago, uh, Planet, Mer- um, Planet Mercenary. Planet Mercenary. It was the Schlock Mercenary, the Schlock Mercenary role-playing game, and the Kickstarter uh, took us. It took us about two years to fulfill, and the largest, the largest problem with it was an information flow problem, where. Uh, I needed I needed to write a bunch of content. Um, I needed to manage a bunch of art, and I needed to know what pages were going to look like. And Sandra needed to have content to put on pages, and and we didn't have a feedback loop in place. We lost six months over that silly, silly thing. Um, and ultimately, what it came down to was. We need to put a manager in between Howard and Sandra. Uh, and so Alan Barr, the uh, game designer, um, uh, we tapped him during the last six-month stretch and said, okay, Alan, your job is to boss Howard around. Howard, your job is to listen to Alan and to deliver the things that he says you need to deliver. Um, and so- and I, wish, I wish we'd happened across or happened upon that model for getting stuff done, you know, in the first, the first year of the project rather than the last six months of it. Um, but it is what it is. We learned important lessons and we did deliver and what we delivered came out awesome. So, yeah. And you raised, and here we're talking about your first project was 75,000. It was on the cutting edge of one of the most successful in the board game space. And then your planet mercenary, a role-playing game, generated you know 300 nearly three hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars well after after uh, all the backer kit stuff we it was a half million dollar project half million dollar project yet would you I mean Howard there's a lot of people listening who could only dream about having a half a million dollars drop into their bank account um, and be and feel like they were rich but 
that's mm-hmm. not that's, uh, yeah don't don't, <laughs> don't think that <laughs> and we would and we would say don't quit your day job except that's what you did to become a web cartoonist right that's bad advice yeah. if we're applying it to you do as i say don't, not as i do but really there were some challenges that you faced with now as you go into this new campaign what did you learn from planet mercenary that maybe there were some challenges that that have kind of helped you as you go into this latest kickstarter campaign um well, Planet Mercenary was a different animal because we were in the RPG space and because the book, the the content for the book uh, did not exist before before we funded. Um, we There was a whole bunch of writing, 250,000 words of writing that needed to be done that I couldn't afford, I, I couldn't take time to do unless the project funded. Um, and then it funded and I could afford to take the time to do it. The challenge was, uh, if I'd taken a year to do it, we would have been great. We took two years to do it. And during that time, we only released one other book. And at the end of planet mercenary, we ended up in a $90,000 hole because postage rates had gone up. And one of our shipping partners for European uh, European shipping had backed out, and and so we were on the hook for close to a hundred thousand dollars of shipping, and we didn't have we didn't have that budget. We had like we had like thirty thousand dollars of budget for shipping, um, and that's the, that's the sort of disaster of which. Uh, of which terrible, terrible stories are made. And uh, the good news is, the good news is, and you know, Sandra and I spent a week very, very stressed out about all of this. Uh, the good news is, if you go to the bank and say, "Yes, um, we are a small business, and this year is really lean, but a year and a half ago we had, you know, a half million dollars in gross receipts," the bank will just give you money. <laughs> I mean, they'll want it back eventually, but they will just give you money. And so we were able to ship everything that needed to be shipped. And Sandra found some uh, uh, some other shipping partners that would help us reduce costs a little bit. Um, but I mean, we really scrambled. But at the end of Planet Mercenary, the position that we were in, um, the position that we were in this time last year was... Uh, we need to do a book Kickstarter um, and it needs to be profitable and the postage needs to not be a problem. And we need to turn this around fast because we now have additional debt and none of our other debt, you know, we still owe money on the house. Um, None of the other debt has gone away. Right. Uh, We need to start making money again. Yeah. That's the interesting thing here is that this isn't a hobby for you. This is a business. And what you're saying is that suddenly from a cash flow standpoint, that while you were focused on this project, the money making aspect of your business, right, suddenly had was impacted. Yes, yes. We uh well from a from a marketing standpoint, um the the MBA standpoint, our core product, our uh the thing that we are known for is not role-playing games. It's a comic strip. And for two years, the publishing of that languished a little bit. This year, we are turning that around. We're publishing two books at once, 
and we are positioning ourselves, uh, you know, a portion of, of what gets, um, uh, what gets generated by this Kickstarter is going to be put towards turning straight around and getting the next book and its slipcase um, into print because because we're behind. We yeah. we need to we need to be making books. Let's talk about that. let's talk about being behind because um, your uh, the question is and for those who aren't familiar with the comic strip they might not understand you know, what the issue here is, but you're put, putting out two books. So what you do is you take your comic strip, bind, bind it up, turn it into a book, and you're putting out two books. And when you say behind, what is it? Why two books? Why is that an issue? And what are you behind from? And I guess kind of where, where where's the goal here that you're headed towards? Um, well, ultimately, Schlock Mercenary, as outlined, as envisioned for the last you know, 10 years or so, uh, it is a 20 book, it is a 20 book space opera about, uh, a mercenary company and, and, you know, big, awesome galactic events. And, and it's, it's funny, you know, it's, it's, it's social commentary. It's, uh, it's poop jokes. It's, it's a lot of things. Um, but it's 20 books long, uh, that the, the main story is 20 books long. Online, I am in, uh, entered the second act of book 19. Um, and so I'm very close to, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, 20 months probably from wrapping up this whole 20 book arc. In print, however, we're only up to book 13. Once this Kickstarter ships in, I'm going to say January or February, I haven't, we don't have dates from the printer yet because, you know, we're still turning files around and whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, in February, uh, I'll have book 15 in print. I'm working on 19. And so 16, 17 and 18 exist online for people to read, but aren't available in print collections yet. During 2019, our goal is to put out books uh and now i need yeah book 16 um and then books 17 and 18 uh so three books during 2019 and then in 2020 we want to do books 19 and 20 so by the time the story ends by the time on the internet we hit you know the end ta-da um we want people to be able to buy everything Click here, click here for your 20 book set, right? That's what you want to be able to do. Just click here for your 20 yep. book set, click right? Here, click here for the 20 book set. And it's a thing that I've learned watching, watching fans of uh, Brian McClellan, watching fans of George R.R. R. Martin, watching fans of uh, Pat Rothfuss, um, fans of the Wheel of Time series. Um, granted, I've named for white American dudes who write epic fantasy. And the problem is, is larger than this in scope. But the problem is, do I buy book three when I know there's going to be seven books, but book seven isn't available yet. Um, And that's, uh, it's a completionist thing. And fortunately I am within three years now of, 
of being able to say it's all in print, it's all online, it's done. Uh, if anybody was sitting on the fence, um, I can now push them off the fence to the tune of about 300 bucks. I don't know what the whole set will cost. It's a lot. Um, I mean, 20 perfect bound eight and a half by 11 glossy paged books with slip cases is not cheap. No, um, no that printing cost, but that printing cost on all that is tough. That completionist thing. I'm just thinking of Peter Brett, right? The warded man series that mm-hmm. I loved his books, but I stopped reading because I don't know, five, six books in the series and it was going to be years before they were available. So then what it just came out. So I bought the entire set on Kindle as one set and then read all six books all at once. Right. So it was like, yeah, I'm just going to wait until they're all ready. And then my, the question is, you brought it up is, is George R. R. Martin ever going to finish his series or is he going to I'm do the quite o- confident. I am quite confident that George R. R. Martin is going to finish. Really? You don't think he's going to do, yeah. you know, I think this is my opinion. He's going to pull the ultimate, uh, f- fan. And that is, uh, the, uh, what do I don't even know what to call it, but you know, he kills off all those characters through the series that he's going to ultimately kill off the last and most significant character. And that is himself. And that I think he's not going to finish it and he's going to die and he's going to wait until he dies and then go, see, gotcha. And that um, he will be the ultimate. <laughs> That's what I think is going to happen is that he's just going to wait. Okay. Until he- Here's, there's a lot of reasons why I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, first and foremost within this is that Game of Thrones is a multi-million dollar franchise. And it is a tentpole uh, property for its publishing company. And um, so maybe somebody else will write it. Even, even if, yeah, I, even if George passes, um, it, it will get, it will get get finished. Uh, But I think, I think George ultimately is just going to, but I, I, I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident in his ability to finish it. I've, I, my job is weird. I get to hang around with authors a lot. I get to hang around with astronauts. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy and fun, and I never get tired of saying, oh, yeah, my friend the astronaut, uh, my, my, my friend Chell Lindgren, uh, he, he has a name, and he's a person who is many, many other things besides being uh, astronaut. But, but when I talk to my author friends, um, it is not that they aren't working. It is not that they can't figure out what happens next. It is that they have to tell the story correctly. It's not about ideas. It's about execution. Uh, when Pat Rothfuss struggles with, struggles with a chapter, struggles with an edit, struggles with a rewrite, it's not because the story's wrong. It's because the, the, words, the words have to be right. Um, and, and so they, they take the time to write it, to, to make the words right. I, and I trust them. Uh, all these, all the, the, the men and women I know who are authors, uh, Mary, Mary Robinette Kowal in particular, uh, she has undertaken some incredibly challenging things. Uh, she's also the reason I, I know any astronauts because she had them as beta readers, um, incredibly challenging things with her books. Um, but 
but she falls back on, on craft and she just knows how to, she knows how to make the words. She knows how to make the words work. She knows how to, she knows how to make patterns of dots on pages in black ink on white paper, um, induce emotional reactions in people who stare at those pages. It's, it's black magic. It's yeah, when, when you when sorcery. you word it that way, when you word it that way, it sounds right. It sounds that you can do what? Yeah, it's this it's this medium that you can actually take ink and put it onto this thing, and then and then you can send it to somebody, and then they can actually pull the content off of it. And you're like, really? Yeah, they can hear your words, and you can do it through. It's like, yeah, it's magic. I can remember. I think that. Oh, you really- want you want creepy? You want creepy? My job is to induce involuntary muscle reactions involving your diaphragm using nothing but ink. I'm trying to make people laugh. That is, that is metabolic control. I am trying to execute metabolic control over complete strangers remotely at a distance with two dimensional images. And you're pretty good at it. My job is weird. Your job is <laughs> is envious to those who can who understand what you're doing, and uh, for those who get to look afar and say that looks like fun, because while it's stressful, and we've talked about some of the stress and some of the campaigns as your Kickstarter campaign goes live, um, and it you know it brings its own level of stress. It's still it, there's a level of fun with uh, the Howard Taylor's life that a lot of people out there yeah. uh, envy. So how can they find you? Know, there, and there's something. Sorry, there's, there's something I want to say before we, before we wrap, and that is a uh, fascinating fact. Um, so I've been wearing a Fitbit for years, and Fitbit will tell me what my heart rate is. When we shipped Planet Mercenary to the printer, my resting heart rate, heart rate went from 85, which is not good, to 67. Simply because it shipped. That is what... That is what the stress of a Kickstarter can do to your body. And that's I had a continuously elevated heart rate. And people don't understand that going into this. They think that, Hey, I'll just, th- uh, it's not in, in the early days. It's not just throw it up there, but there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of execution during the campaign before, during, and then a tremendous amount of work. Your Kickstarter campaign is the beginning of the project, not the end of the project. Right. Yeah. Well, now, Ed, the, the nice thing for me is that this Kickstarter for books 14 and 15 of Schlock Mercenary, um, you can find it all at schlockmercenary.com. You can get the, the links for all that. Um, but this Kickstarter, when we sent the final files to the printer on Friday a week ago, um, and Sandra said, okay, that's it. You know, I've, I've uploaded the files. We're good. I I didn't actually I hadn't been checking Fitbit, but I had that same feeling of oh oh I can relax oh wow life life is nice why was I so stressed out last week why have I been so stressed out this whole summer when I've had all this traveling to do and these projects to work on and pressure 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 to you know get the books done so the Kickstarter can be ready to go on time. Um, I didn't even know what kind of a cost, uh, that was exacting until Sandra said, you know, I've shipped the files and wow, it's nice. This week, all I have to do is, 
is make comics. And yes, I've got to do some, you know, little things for the Kickstarter, make some desktop wallpapers, draw some funny pictures. That's a thing that I was going to do anyway. Um, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good place to be. Um, and I think that's what, that's what people need to not see when they are launching their first Kickstarter is that uh, for us at this point, this is kind of easy because we've learned so many things. We've made so many mistakes. We've done so many things wrong and then figured out how to do them right that this Kickstarter feels almost like boilerplate and putting in a plug for your show, Richard, putting in a plug, you know, bringing it back around to what we talked about earlier, where, you know, the job that people want uh, 10 years from now doesn't exist today. Um, listening to your podcast, doing research like that. Um, you remember the demotivators posters from yeah. the nineties yeah. and the one that it's the sinking ship that says it may be that your purpose in life is to serve as an example to others or to serve as a warning to others. Right. And, uh, oh boy, the mistakes I've made, I want people to know about them because I want, I don't want other people to have to make them. And your podcast is full of people's mistakes. It is. That and did and not that, sound the way I wanted it to sound. But, but you're yeah. right. The generosity of people to come on the show and be willing to talk about failure is one of, I think, one of the values that the show has delivered over the years. Now, those failures have changed. You know, early days, there might have been a different mm -hmm. thing we were failing at because we get better and better at failing because the projects get bigger and bigger. But yes, the generosity, you have been on the show multiple times and many people just to say, here is how I screwed up. And that is not a natural experience that we have in our everyday lives, whether it's with our spouses, with our, with our boss, with our coworkers, our family, our kids. It doesn't matter. We don't often go around saying, hey, look, come here. Let me just show you how I really, really hosed this. Um, yeah. Right. And so I appreciate people like you who have come on and been willing to share with the audience. Here are some learning experiences. This has been uh, this conversation has been, uh, you know, kind of a, a wide ranging conversation on a variety of topics. And I'm pretty sure somebody is going to find some value out of it. I certainly hope so. Uh, I know that I always do. Um, and if people want to kind of stay in touch or participate, they can find you on Kickstarter. And it's what's the Kickstarter project called? Um. Uh, I don't even know. I think it's, I think it's called Schlockmercenary.com. Uh, Schlock Schlock oh, yeah. Just go to Schlockmercenary.com. Yeah. And uh, if you're on Kickstarter, it's Schlock Mercenary Books 14 and 15. And then the last plug, uh, something that I, I'm personally proud of, is your Patreon um, subscription, that people can stay up to date on a regular basis and participate and support Schlock Mercenary through Patreon, um, which is there, Howard Taylor. Taylor with an E-R, T-A-Y-L-E-R, and they can find it there. And I'm proud of that one because I convinced you. I feel like I convinced you. You convinced me. Yeah, you convinced me to go to, to, go to Patreon. And in fact, uh, Patreon, um, they, they made some changes. I mean, I won't go into the details, but they made some changes in their behind-the-scenes math. And a whole bunch of people at my level of patreon uh patreon support uh, lots and lots of web cartoonists uh were immediately up in arms and yelled at patreon about it and they changed Amazing. and that's not something that's not something that i'm accustomed to uh, <laughs> people, being, people. being somebody who can yell and have a company sit up and take notice and recognize that they were wrong 
Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Howard, it's been, uh, it's been a privilege, uh, a pleasure to have known you over the years and watched the success of as you stepped out and took, you know, we didn't even go into the back. People can listen to previous episodes um, and t- the background of got, what got you here. But what got you here was courage, vision, uh, passion. And I have felt such a privilege to, privilege to be your friend and participate on this journey of where you've come today. And it's very exciting to see that. Thank you for being on the show and joining me. Thank you for having me, Richard. This has been fun. You've been listening to Funding the Dream. My guest has been Howard Taylor, creator of Schlock Mercenary. And uh, we talked about, his, well, we talked about a lot of things, but his Kickstarter campaign that's uh, out there. If you can go find more information at schlockmercenary.com. And a big thank you and shout out to Pledge Manager from KickTrack, who sponsored this episode. And remember, if you're not using them to manage your Kickstarter pledges, you're leaving money on the table. Thanks for listening. Take care.